Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Politic Relaxed. Another week, another Prime Minister. Uh, Rishi Sunak is now the Prime Minister. Last week it was Liz Truss, and we were reflecting on how terribly she done. This week we're probably going to talk about Rishi Sunak, what we think his premiership's going to look like, what his cabinet looks like, and what that's going to mean. I mean, I think there's stuff to take confidence in from the early days of his premiership right now, but there's also stuff that I feel concerned about. I mean, if I start on the positives, I think his decision to delay the fiscal statement was pretty positive. I've read somewhere from the Treasury that we're going to save $16 billion from that, delaying it up to 17th of November, which I think is obviously something we can take confidence in. I think he's united the Conservative Party now just on a general basis, and that comes from his decisions in the Cabinet. I think whatever you think about Suella Braverman, his decision to put her back in the Cabinet as kind of the representative of a faction which he needed to desperately get the support of, I think he can take confidence from that. Um, I mean, more generally, the today's news about him not going to COP27 concerns me. I think at a time where we need action from all political leaders around the world on such a issue which carries such importance over the next decades of our lives. I think him not being there is going to be pretty concerning. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, well, I made a, I want, well, I think we all watch PMQs and I kind of made like a tally list of what, you know, what went wrong and what, what didn't go wrong. He seemed pretty confident during PMQs. It wasn't too disastrous. I think you can sum it up as being okay. I think the Conservatives are back at their old stomping ground and the whole scroungers versus strivers and the tough on defence and strong on strong on immigration, which I think is a, a, a smart move for Rishi Sunak, considering that I think it was 60% of the votes that they've lost in 2019. They left because of the, you know, the immigration policy under trust. So I think it, it's a smart move to go down. I think where he struggled really was non-DOM. And I think that's something that, you know, made him really visibly uncomfortable during PMQ. And I think that Labour might have to adjust their strategy a bit and really head down that road with Richard Sunak because he's a bit more difficult to handle than Liz Truss was, who kind of blinked as a form of response. Mm. Rishi Sunak kind of, he speaks, unfortunately. And unfortunately, a lot of his a lot of his comebacks were quite sound. So I think if Labour want to carry on, and I think they'll I think they'll be fine against Rishi Sunak. I think non-DOM is a good one. I think going down, um, him not being a representative of the working class, and obviously we've all seen that video about the deprived urban areas, that's one that Keir Starmer needs to head down a bit strongly, I think. I, I think it's interesting on, on PMQs. I mean, I think we knew he was going to be a strong performer. He's obviously got experience as Chancellor doing budgets and things like that. So, he, yeah, I, I don't think that was particularly a surprise. I think it was interesting how similar it felt to watching a Boris Johnson versus Keir Starmer PMQ performance, though, because you had him going down these same lines that... I think are very well travelled at this point with the kind of Jeremy Corbyn line, which is very much distracting from the question. I don't know how much that's going to work. It'll be, I think it'll be interesting to tell. And again, I don't know how much PMQs matters because how much does it actually cut through? That's an interesting question. Um, it's interesting to look at the poll bounce. He's had a bit of a poll bounce. I think that was kind of to be expected. He's obviously more confident yeah. than us. I think... That, that was or the, Labour are not going to hold on to the sort of poll leads that we saw under Liz Trust. That's self-evident, I think. But I, I'm not too concerned because I think 
again, what Danielle mentioned about the normal <clears> stuff <throat> and about how out of touch he is. I think that's going to be the election loser for the Conservatives will be how out of touch he is, especially with kind of the cost of living stuff. I think that those two together, people, I, I don't know if people will like that at all. Well, I think he's um, he's stable until the next election, but um, at least um, <clears throat> twenty twenty four or whatever. It's uh, I mean, even just a few days after he's been appointed, the talk of an, talk of an election has gone down considerably, um, and that's because he's united the party. I, I mean, I say that. Uh, who knows what's going to happen? But um, I think I think rebellions are a lot less likely in these in these coming weeks than they were under under Liz Truss because. Well, let's be honest here, she wasn't supposed to win the first Conservative um, leadership election. Um, uh, I mean, that gives him, what, year, two years um, to put through whatever. That's uh, probably about a similar amount of time to um, Boris Johnson, except without COVID. Um, but we've got a different crisis now, the cost of living one, which is a bit more normal in politics, I guess. But... Um, yeah. Of course, that remains to be seen. He's um, he's staying away from COP twenty seven to um, focus on focus on the economy. Which I mean, yeah, is an interesting interesting <laughs> logic considering he he you know he still does have to interact with other leaders because he is a he is himself. <laughs> a leader. Um, but you know, I, the, Cop is, you know, it, well, I wonder if King, I wonder if um, King Charles is going to go now that Liz Truss isn't around anymore to stop him. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head with a wider point as well about kind of Rishi Sunak's overall foreign policy. We really don't know what that's going to look like. Obviously, I think the support for Ukraine will probably stay where it is, and I don't think that's likely yeah. to change. But I feel like, I mean. For example, if we look at America, how are we going to see like a trade deal done with America finally? Probably not. But, you know, and there's like India, we've been looking to do a trade deal with for a long, long time. Will he further relations there or will he hinder them? I think that that remains to be seen on his foreign policy. I think it'll be interesting to look at over the coming kind of months. Yeah, well, we don't know much about Richard Sunak, and that is one of the key issues. And I think he's tried to rectify that through his cabinet, which I know we'll talk about later. But he's relatively new. I think his last, we know, his last most notable position was the Chancellor of the Exchequer. So I think with foreign policy, we're very quite, you know, grey on what, what he's doing, which could be an advantage because he doesn't, he's not got any huge stains on his past like Jeremy Hunt. But, you know, we'll see. Mm. Yeah, I think often issues like foreign policy, especially we're in the cost of living crisis right now, issues like foreign policy can often get pushed to the backlogs of what we determine as top priorities. Mm -hmm. I think we forget that there is a war in Ukraine still going on and we need to kind of, we can shift our opinion on it when the fight's still going. But the problem that I think Rishi Sunak is, has got is trying to come together and solve areas that have got so much problems in it. I think education's underfunded, health's underfunded, trying to sort out the cost of living crisis as a whole right now. I think when he came into power as prime minister, his first priority was to restore trust within his own party. I think while we don't have factual proof of that yet, I think the consensus is out that he is, he's got a lot of trust right now. And I think we'll, we'll talk about the cabinet, obviously, where I'll make my point that his selection of people in the cabinet can kind of 
it represents all factions of the Tory party. Um, but what he needs to do now is he needs to come up with a game plan where he can kind of set out goals that that can kind of benefit everyone. I think. Yeah. So, yeah, I think the only issue with that is that I don't think he's got much movement with the economy because he, he, he either goes kind of two ways, which is tax rises, which always, you know, causes a bit of the backbenchers tend to have a bit of a paddy over tax rises. And the issue with Rishi Sunak hiking up taxes is that he doesn't have a great reputation with, you know, with tax rises, given the last time he tried to hike up national insurance tax and he fell out with tons of people in the Conservative Party. Yeah. And then if you go down the route of public spending cuts, the optics of that just don't look great because he's one of the richest members of parliament. The NHS, these key services are already underfunded. If he goes down the, the, the kind of the path of public spending cuts, it doesn't reflect too well on him. Yeah, I I think he is going to go down the route of public spending cuts, which is concerning. I saw a report, I think it was Politico, but I can't quite remember, uh, saying that it's going to be about 10 to 15 percent in every single department, which is just it's so, so damaging. And I, I was also kind of looking into this because I was like, what is the alternative? Is there an alternative to this? And there is an alternative. And it's um, Tax Justice UK, they're called. They've got this full kind of article which sets out how you can raise £37 billion just through kind of taxes. And it's through, like, for example, what Labour have called for, which is an end to non-bomb status. There's so many different things you can do to kind of raise this tax money, which I think is the only way, if you if, if I'm looking at it, just because of the state of the NHS, the state of education, the state of policing, the state of the whole public services right now are so desperately underfunded already that they cannot deal with a 10 to 15 percent cut absolutely even though he promised to i also wouldn't i'd be cautious about the his promise to increase what fifty thousand police officers the tories have been promising that since 2004 and the police sector is still you know very underfunded so i i wouldn't buy into that too much yeah i mean maybe we look at the cabinet now we've been kind of tiptoeing around it so that we get to this point it was god it was it was surprising i'll tell you that much i was rather surprised with a lot of the appointments i think it was as finley said a unifying cabinet um but is a unifying cabinet the right cabinet remains to be seen well i mean is there any right cabinet for you felix i mean other, other than other than a labor one you've criticized every single one since we, st- we started this thing because yeah, they're terrible for various reasons and you know that's, that's understandable from your point of view i guess and and mine uh, in, some, in some instances um it's it, it's very much uh a, like part, partly liz truss even though she didn't have any support in the party to begin with so i, I don't know i guess i guess she just wants to keep some of them anyway um suella breverman is a strange strange one to keep around um uh, and and um, James James Pebbly is in four, and that's yeah, that's fine. Who who, who cares? Uh, um, but um, who, who else? who's the um, who's in education? Gillian, is it Gillian Keegan? I think it is. Yeah, Gillian. Yeah, yeah, and it's like what the the eighth education secretary in the year or something. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that's um, fourteen months. The set. Yeah, Sunday. fourteen fourteen. Yeah. Yeah, fourteen months, um, and that's yeah that that doesn't bode well for the education sector, especially with the possibility of of of, of um, spending cuts. Yeah, sure. <laughs> See what Keegan has to do about that. Yeah, 
you know, I, 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 I do think I, of course, I think I'm fair enough, but I do think I'm actually fair enough to criticize this cabinet, especially because I was reading an article. There are 16 ministerial code breaks in this cabinet, 16 different people that have broken ministerial code in the cabinet. Um, it's an article by the Yorkshire bylines. It was, I, I enjoyed reading it last yeah. night. Uh, so you can go and read it if you want. There is a lot of people that have done a lot of dodgy things in this cabinet. There is, as you mentioned, I mean, James Cleverly. I just didn't understand why, she, why he kept James Cleverly. And it, it really confused me because a lot of the key roles are taken up by people that do not sit near the center ground at all. They're taken up by very, very right-wing people who are going to be the ones that have serious control over policy in this country. And I think what Rishi Sunak was trying to do is put kind of the people from different factions high up and then pack the rest of the cabinet with people he agreed with so that he could get the majority of cabinet. But there is a real risk with that because then you run, for for example, Suella Bravman has pol has the whole, whole of home office policy in her hands. That is a really scary thought to have with somebody who was sacked just two weeks ago for a, a break in ministerial code. And then, I mean, yeah, it's it's very worrying. Yeah, it's also really unpalatable considering that he kind of started off saying that this was going to be a premiership of um, what this, this these three words. Uh, integrity you know that was what he's going to beat Johnson on he's put someone back who was fired you know just a serious breach um in in the home office which is one of those roles that you, you need to take seriously but I think Sunak kind of did unifying to the extreme to the point that he's kind of compromised the entire aim of the cabinet which was a fresh start for the conservative party and he's brought back people that who we, yeah, which is a laughable concept, but he's brought back people who we've seen before, but unfortunately for not great reasons. And I get, you know, I get bringing the trustites back in, Therese Coffey, James Cleverly, Nadim Zahawi. But the issue is that we don't have very good public electorate don't really like these people. And the issue with that is that when he wanted to start off fresh, you've got people like Cleverly in, Nadim, it's, it, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a great start to be honest. I think what I'll say is that the most important cabinet position right now is the chancellor, and I think on that he got it absolutely right. I think keeping Jeremy Hunt for con continuity, but also as well his attitude to economic policy, I think will be extremely helpful. I mean, you saw that in how he restored the markets in instantly when he was appointed by Liz Truss. I think there's some more minor positions that I kind of support as well. I think Johnny Mercer coming back to being veterans ministers, a welcome addition. But I think Rishi Sunak, like you say, Daniel, I think he's gone too hard to try and appeal to those far-right ERG think tank groups of people. And I think if that becomes, if Rishi Sunak fails in any other way, I think that's a reason we can put down to why he might fail in foreign policy or health, for example. Yeah. I I think if we're honest, though, he could have appointed um, Penny Morden to Home Secretary. I think he probably could have gotten away with that instead of Suella Bravman, because he still has those key. He still has a lot of right wing figureheads in that cabinet, even without Suella Bravman. I mean, Steve Baker still has a role in government, not in cabinet, but in government. You still have these key figures dotted around 
government department. So I, I don't really understand why he didn't do that, because I think there's going to be a lot of moderates. I mean, the conservative moderate faction have probably been unhappy for a long, long time, considering what's happened with Brexit. I mean, it's a, it's a very much a long term push away from the centre ground. And Rishi Sunak is not a U-turn back towards the centre ground. He's still continuing in the same tack that the last three conservative governments have have gone with. And I think that's what's clear with this cabinet. Right. He has put some people in with, a, a, you know, a bit of experience, which I think, as I said previously, will help him out a bit. Yeah. Um, Gavin, Williamson, Gavin Williamson, or Sir Gavin Williamson, seems to, you know, come back to haunt us. Um, uh, but the good, Michael Gove is back in levelling up, which I guess means good news for levelling up, because he tends to be one of the more competent Conservative PMs. So I think he's, I think if we could give him credit just to balance it out, I would say he's given some people with experience you know, some roles in his cabinet, which I think is a good thing. On that, I'd say the reason he's done that is because he has a lot of, I mean, he is quite inexperienced. Obviously, he was chancellor and, you know, that is, uh, it's a tall order to be a cabinet during COVID-19, to be um, chancellor during COVID-19. There's no question about that. But outside of that, he doesn't really have much experience. I think he was he was in the Treasury Department before that. And then he was he was a very low minister. Um, I think it was local government minister before that. That's his only government experience. He's not he's not particularly experienced. He doesn't. He, he doesn't have a kind of grasp on a lot of different departments like we don't know what he would do in health policy in foreign policy in policing in education there's so many massive questions over this government and he's been pretty clear with some of the policy decisions the environment it's not going to be on his priority list education probably not going to be on his priority list health remains to be seen but i doubt it'll be on his priority list what's going to be on his priority list is obviously the economy he'll want to balance the books and he'll do that by making tough decisions. And he's been very clear that he's going to make tough decisions. And that could be very worrying for a lot of people in this country, I think. Right. I think speaking on the point of experience, I mean, he only came into office in 2015 as an MP for Richmond. York. He took over William Hague's seat, I think, um, when he stood down. Um, so I think just to see oh, yeah. his tectonic rise up to becoming chancellor in 2020 kind of gives to the testament of the character of Rishi Sunak as someone who I see as pragmatic I mean I don't think he I think there is the issue of his image which I think will probably be his Achilles heel and the fact that you know he's so wealthy that he is can be out can keep in touch with the working class at all right now but I don't think there's this magical Churchill type politician in British politics, for example, I don't think you're going to get that for a while. I mean, I, it, he was it. Factions already started to show when you saw the expulsion of MPs, Conservative Party MPs in 2019. I think it was 22 or something. These yeah. type of one nation left wing Tories, and that's kind of that set about the change of where the Tory Party moved yeah. far, farther and further and further to the right after Cameron, and now. They can't really go back from that point. I think they yeah. either have to stick through this until the next general election, but they can't switch or switch around and do a massive U-turn, if you will, back to a more centre-ground position because that upsets the ERG, for example. That upsets the Tory donors. I mean, Rishi Sunak is someone that's very conflicted in what he has to do, I guess.
Yeah. Yeah, particularly with his attitude to, to the protesters and the strikes, it's not in line with the public at all, considering that we've seen the, the public majority support the rail strikes and they're in favour of people receiving real-term pay rises, which is something that many working people feel across the across the employment sector. And I think if we carry on with this, you know, this rhetoric about the, the, the lunacy and you know, the scroungers and the strivers, it doesn't, it, it, it seems out of place considering the public mood at the time. And I'm not sure, like Finley said, his image is already something that's quite um, controversial. And I'm not sure if he carries down this kind of extreme Thatcherite kind of trust path with things like immigration and things such as employment and strikes. I'm not sure how that's going to help him. Maybe we finish on this. Will Rishi can, in fact, can Rishi Sunak win the next general election? Danielle? No, I don't think so. And I, <laughs> no, I don't think so. I don't think he has a time. And also, on a sadder point, I think he'll lose for one of the reasons that he can't control, which is unfortunately kind of plays into his race. And I think we've seen that. I don't know if you watched that LBC interview. But many Conservative Party members, and by means not all, absolutely, I'm not going to put out a generalised statement, but many do not see Rishi Sunak as British. And obviously that plays into the old imperial argument, you can't be British if you're not white. And I think, unfortunately, that's going to hurt him, particularly in the red wall seats that the Conservatives stocked up during Johnson's tenure. So I think that will that will be one of his one of his heels that he comes down on, which is unfortunate, but very true. Will he win? Or can he win? Very unlikely. I think it's a possibility. I mean, you, you never know from how how, how things can, can turn out, but I, I think it's going to be a, a real, real tough job. Um, yeah, I, you just have to wait and see. It, I, I, I think the main point to take away is that he has stabilised his position, which Trust did not manage to do. Yeah, Finley, I think he's about. He's more likely to win elections than Liz Truss. I think that's for certain right now. But I think Danielle hit the nail on the head about Rishi Sunak's race. I think some areas of the British public still kind of have that confusion or kind of scepticism about, you know, I think I think Danielle went into much greater detail on it. But I think there's two years now until the next general election. I think what he does with the economy will kind of define his premiership because he was elected to mainly solve the cost of living crisis. And I think, yeah, I think these next two years are going to be important. I'm not saying anything for certain because I don't want to kind of nail my colours to the mast and be proved horribly wrong by saying he is <laughs> going to win but, or not. Um, but I think at the moment, the Tory party is a sinking ship and Labour have got such an open goal that they need to try to convert and i think these next two years will be incredibly important yeah yeah i i don't want to write him off too early but i i think the the gap is slimming and slimming for the conservatives to to win i yeah i i just i i think the i think the issue of his money and his background um as kind of touched on as we've touched on will be a problem i think people people are really gonna see him as kind of this metropolitan elite figure which I, I i don't really like the term and i think it's a bit two-dimensional and i think just judging him based on how much money he has 
it's probably not particularly great. But again, some of the things he's done with his taxes, I think, are people are right to criticize and that's where he's that's that's going to be his issue his issue is going to be one of image rather than one of policy i think and that's what the next general election probably i don't know is again two years away but that that's what i think one of the issues of the next general election will certainly be fought upon yeah and also i think the conservatives have kind of a romanticized view of the electorate where they assume that people will just forget you know the trust premiership i know they kind of put it off as a footnote in their history but people don't forget the time that they weren't able to buy their first house because their mortgage rate got removed or the time that their interest rates sky high and they couldn't put food on the table for their children we know government competency and economic management comes up when we vote on the ballot and i think that's another thing that that they'll struggle with and particularly soon i will struggle with in the general election great uh i think that's about it we'll we'll see what happens it's two years away uh yeah let's see what happens in the next few weeks first of all um we'll be covering it here um subscribe like the video i mean go and read one of the articles on our website or follow us on instagram or do something like that that'll be great uh thank you very much for watching thank you to all of you for coming uh we appreciate it see you later